Well, comrade, what now? Straightforward conversation. Welcome to Between the Gutters, where we talk about the stories within the panels. I'm your co-host, Albert, and with us is our other co-host. Yo, everybody. This is Drew. How's it going? That was very formal. I, I felt like that was talk radio. More of the sultry variety than the angry variety. Um, you know, the kind that's trying to fanaticize people and radicalize them. That was good. I Are we, we sultry? We tried out. We are not, but I, I thought your tone and your voice was uh, very much on the alluring spectrum. Thanks, man. That's the nicest compliment anyone's paid me in a really long time. <laughs> See, that's why we need more people to uh, uh, send us DMs on on the podcast. Uh, <laughs> slide into our DMs. <laughs> slide into our DMs. Compliment us. We're starved for it. <laughs> we value your validation today's episode we are gonna go over ant-man quantum mania or i guess the way they, they present it at the end of the movie quant man mania <laughs> this isn't really a spoiler but i will say this um i did not realize until the very end of the movie that ant-man is part of the title quantum mania so when I saw that, I, I I will say that that might have been one of the most surprising things about the movie where I was like, now oh, I just feel like an idiot for not seeing it. <laughs> yeah, that was the one moment of the entire movie that I realized actually <laughs> caused you to have a reaction. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, there was a period of time where Drew thought I was dead because I just stopped moving. <laughs> You were That's about how reactionless as still I was. and silent as Pepper in the movie theater. <laughs> it's, it's funny because uh, uh, for, for those of you who are not in the know, Albert brings Pepper with him everywhere, his dog. <laughs> and he even sneaks her into movie theaters. It's, a, it's really surprising how unobservant the theater workers are because he just puts her in a little bag and puts like a sweater covering her head. And he just walks in like he's carrying a man purse. <laughs> And nobody has ever said anything to him, but Pepper is a really good dog, and she just sits quietly in the theater, doesn't make any peeps, no barking yep. or growling or anything, and uh, no one is the wiser. She wants to watch the movie too, man. Yeah. She wants to watch the movie too, and that's okay. And, you know, if anything, it should probably make you feel more alarmed about, uh, you know movie theater security granted i never had too many high expectations of movie theater security because i'm essentially putting my life in the hands of what i assume to be a pimple-faced teenager yeah yeah very true <laughs> very true they have better but things hey. to do than to care about their job uh yeah yeah and you know to to, to be clear i don't begrudge them that because well 
that's not too far off from uh, how I exist or how I, I spend my general existence. So, yeah, you know, that's true. That is true. Yeah. But I think I just have real ex realistic expectations of them. So it, I, I guess I'm not altogether surprised. If anything, I'd say I expect them not to notice whenever I bring my dog into the theater. <laughs> yeah, I, I guess most people generally don't realize that you have her with you in a lot of different situations. Yeah, I'd say so. We've we've gone places where she just sits there and until one of us says something, no one even realizes that she's she's hanging out or that she's she's present. Yeah, I'm pretty sure yeah. the first time I saw you do that at the theater, I didn't realize you had her with you either. But then once yeah. I once I saw it happen the first time, ever since then, I've always noticed you just came because to expect it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's I, I guess it's part of the fun or it's funny. Uh, it's funny to me. <laughs> it is, man. Uh, it's always funny yeah. to make fools out of other people. Yeah, it's it's a little surprise, I guess. Uh, we went to a banquet last weekend for one of our friends, <laughs> and you were telling me that banquet was absolutely not for dogs, and that you yeah. were going to leave her at home. But you ended up bringing her, and our friend didn't even realize that you had yeah. her with you, even though you talked to him for like five minutes. Yeah, yeah. Well, this, okay. Well, you know, to 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 get off subject a little bit, but um. Yeah, this was at a, a banquet at a, you know, I guess you could consider it a nice or nice-ish Chinese restaurant. So, you know, maybe it's not the nicest I've ever been to, but it's still, you know, it's it's not one of your standard uh, takeout sort of places, right? It ain't Panda or, mm -hmm, or something mm -hmm. like that, right? So I think my expectation at the time was, well, this is a thing for his kid. Um, you know, there's, it's, it's kind of going to be a formal, semi-formal, uh, experience. So I should probably just leave her just, you know, just to avoid any, uh, any discomfort or to avoid any situations. But the thing was the weekend before I had gone to Reno and I left Pepper behind. So I think she was kind of, she was a little, uh, what's the word? I guess she was a little uh uh she was panicking when she anxious. started leaving. She was a little anxious and I think she was on alert that I would probably be headed out. Uh you know, cuz she knows she she generally knows when I'm about to head out somewhere like you know, uh she knows my routine. She she knows that, you know, whenever I get dressed that oh, this means he's heading out so she knows to prepare <laughs> oh, herself. Oh, hold hold on, hold on. You telling me yeah. that when you're at home you're always naked, and it's when you put on clothes, that's when she realizes you're about to leave the house? No, when I change from my home clothes to my outside clothes. Oh, okay, okay. <laughs> you know, like when I get dressed, and I, so I just assumed you were chilling around in your boxers or briefs or whatever you wear. Uh, I mean, you don't have outside clothes and home clothes? <laughs> or, Dude. yeah. Everything that you see me wearing in public is exactly what I wear at home. Really? That sounds kind of yeah. uncomfortable, man. Well, uh, I always wear pretty slobby clothes in public, too, so it's all the same to me. I, I mean, I'm thinking about it. You don't wear, like, sweats or something instead of jeans? 
in place of jeans. I'll wear sweats in the evening or at night after I've showered. Uh huh. But I guess those are my inside clothes, so to speak. Yeah. Because I don't I don't really wear sweats outside unless I'm exercising on a cold day or something. Yeah. So so you get it to some degree. It's not a completely foreign concept to you. (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, so whenever I, you know, put on my jeans or whatever, she'll know that, oh, he's he's about to step out. So uh, on that particular day, she was, I think, on extra high alert. And yeah, she wouldn't leave me alone and she wouldn't leave the door because usually I'll just tell her to go like sit on the couch and wait it out. But on this particular day, she was just not about it. So at that point, I was just like, okay, I felt kind of bad. So I was just like, okay, um, I'll tell you what, we'll see if we can make this work. And it did. <laughs> <laughs> we had absolutely no problems. <laughs> yeah. So there we go. <laughs> uh, All right. Well, today we are doing our autopsy on Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania. We could tell call me, it Albert. Uh, oh. Antopsy. Huh? Our ant topsy, wasp topsy, wasp topsy, quant quant topsy, mania topsy, kang topsy. Yeah, see, there we go. We we can have all sorts of fun with this if we consider this fun. All right. So, what were your <laughs> initial thoughts leading up to the movie? <laughs> uh, just based on the trailer, um. I don't know. I don't think I really had too much in terms of expectations. Uh, I guess if I had to be perfectly honest, uh, Ant-Man as a property has kind of had diminishing returns for me. I think I think that first movie was solid enough where I told myself, okay, well, if, if we continue on this trend, I, I think this could be a decent trilogy, right? And then that second one, it was fine. I, I can't say that I loved it, but yeah, it was fine, whatever. But I, I certainly don't think I was anywhere near as high on it as the first one. You sure about so that? Because t- we did do an autopsy on that movie a couple years ago. We did. And if I review we the did. tape, you might have some words of gushing praise. I probably will. But you know what? In hindsight, and now that we're, we have it in the rearview mirror, um, yeah, I, I can be honest about it. Or uh, <laughs> Wait, maybe not. So, so you weren't honest before. <laughs> I mean, it was what I felt at the time. That's which is, you know, different. It's a conditional sort of feeling, right? It's okay. Uh, okay. Yeah. So your, if your I had to be on the second movie, have evolved. Well, let me say this. Uh, let, let's not say let's not use the term honest because it's not that like our review on it was dishonest. But if if I had to, uh, you know give a review that was based on my present state of mind i'd probably say that that second movie i mean it's not something that i hated but it's it's probably not something that i thought exceptionally highly of either mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so that's that's probably the most realistic take that i can give it um and yeah and i think by the time we get to quantum mania even though there's this huge tease of Kang as the main villain. It's I I don't think I was 
yeah, I, I can't say I was excited for it. I, th- I think I was fine to watch it because we were going to do a podcast on it. Heck, even if we didn't do a podcast on it, I would have been fine to watch it because, you know, it's something to do with your friends. Uh, yeah. You know, it's 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 a way to spend time and just, you know, kill some brain cells or whatever. But We could have watched Black Adam or The Flash or some other DC movie. Uh, I did watch Black Adam and... Uh, yeah, I genuinely loathed that movie. <laughs> we didn't do a review on it, but because I didn't want to watch it. <laughs> yeah, but my feelings on it are, I I hated that movie, <laughs> like just just straight up. Um, but so so I will say this: Ant Man wasn't that. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um. Man, I feel like from now on, whenever we talk about any comic book movie, I have to frame the question in in through the prism of my dislike of Black Adam. <laughs> yeah, that's the <laughs> prototypical punching bag of a bad superhero movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and I know we like rag on Snyder and all that, but I, I'd even say that that movie was worse than those. You know? Really? Wow. I, I think so. Yeah. Worse than Batman v Superman? Uh, well, yeah, at least Batman v so. Superman gave us some funny moments. Yeah. We still quote it from might... that movie every once in a while. Yeah. there And there are some genuinely ridiculous scenes in it, even if it's not about the acting. But I was going to say, um, I think the one movie that I could compare it to is the Justice League Joss Whedon version and that movie was just terrible yeah and you know it was terrible by design uh because you know it was designed to be terrible i think so um well okay uh i don't think it was terrible on purpose oh okay do i maybe i do (laughs) (laughs) no because there was so much drama behind the production of that movie and with all the stuff that went wrong and with them having to get uh, Joss Whedon to come in because, you know, he had just come off the Avengers movie. So they were like, okay, we're going to get Joss Whedon. Zack Snyder's not going to do this last one. And uh, yeah, you know, like maybe this will give them, give, give the viewers a, a feel for the Avengers because that, that was the criticism of these justice league movies at the time was, Oh, they're just so dour, blah, blah, blah. So, you know if we steal the uh the avengers director then maybe just maybe we can salvage some of Mm -hmm. whatever uh his magic is and apply it to the justice league but it just ended up being this horrible mess because they took the existing movie that Zack snyder made and just made it this sloppy uh frankenstein monster of of uh two competing visions so Mm -hmm, mm um so like that that was a movie that was just inherently terrible (laughs) because it was just a sign of the mismanagement and the incompetence of the the studio people right yeah uh so the thing about black adam is i'd I'd say that black adam probably has a singular vision but it was a bad singular vision so <laughs> maybe because of that it's it's bad on its own maybe it mm-hmm. makes it worse than the joss whedon justice league i don't know but uh yeah um 
it was like so bad that after I watched it, I, I was like, Drew, you, you need to watch this. You need to, I, I'm not, I doubt my senses as to whether I believe it's really as bad as I think it is because this movie is just garbage <laughs> through and through. And I was just like, I don't know if I'm just blinded by my bias or if it genuinely is that bad. And I needed Drew to watch it to uh, confirm my <laughs> my my experience, my viewing experience. No, I, I take you at your word, man. I believe you. I uh, believe it is as bad as you uh, perceived it to be. Uh, yeah. I I yeah. I still. If you ever do watch it, I need to hear it. I just need to know, you know. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see. It would take a lot to motivate me to to watch that. That might be that might be the reason why we need to start a Patreon. If if people want us to watch comic book movies that we don't want to watch and talk forget, about them on the pod. You haven't watched uh, Aquaman, right? You still haven't watched Aquaman, or did not you? in its entirety? I watched parts of it on a plane. Oh, yeah, it wasn't especially good either, but. I still thought it was better than uh, Black Adam. Yeah, that's pretty bad then. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, back to the current movie at hand. Yeah, uh, you know, I think uh, in terms of the big tease of Kang in in the trailer, I don't know. We, we've already seen him in, in Loki and in some other things. I What was... Yeah, it was Loki. Was he in anything else? But I swear he, he I swore he was in something else. Or was it just Loki? I believe it was just Loki. Okay. Yeah. So I guess we saw him in 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 Loki, so it's not like it's a huge surprise for us. Um but even what we saw in the trailer, you know, it was fine. I don't I don't I don't think I was loud by it but it was you know it was fine Mm -hmm. yeah i think that was pretty much my uh my general impression of the trailer was just oh okay it's it's gonna be just another action film or you know action superhero adventure film just another mcu movie yeah 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 so What'd you think? Yeah, pretty much pretty much that. It wasn't anything that I was particularly excited about or specifically looking forward to. I think even based on the first two Ant-Man movies, I, I mean, I thought they were fine too. They didn't mm. they didn't uh win me over the way some of the other Marvel movies might have and I think I think I, from what I remember in our past discussion, I think you probably have more love for the first two Ant-Man movies than than I did. So, yeah, I, I already was like kind of yeah. lukewarm on the idea of Quantumania. Yeah, I think I'd say that I have more affection for the first Ant-Man, if only because I did like uh, Paul Rudd. So I was like, okay, uh, like he's he's an actor that I enjoy watching, so no issues there. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but yeah, I I guess 
the other thing is maybe maybe in those early years of Marvel movies, uh, when Ant Man first came out, there there was novelty to to Ant Man, <laughs> you know. That, yeah, I could see that. Yeah, the, you know, we we were still just getting this entirely new slate of heroes that we weren't expecting to see. So seeing Ant Man was it was a it was a, a a bizarre choice, but at the same time, it was like, oh, nice, we're I, I never knew or thought I wanted an Ant-Man film, and I'm not saying that this makes me want one, but okay, this is an interesting choice, right? Yeah. And uh, so at the time, there was definitely a novelty to it, but uh, that that second uh, Ant-Man movie was, again, it was fine enough, uh, but I, I I'm... I, I I don't think I definitely don't think it makes it onto any list of movies for me, uh, and, and you know, in terms of like favorites or whatever, what have you. What about favorite Ant Man movies? <laughs> oh, there's a chance that there's another Ant Man movie out there that I like more. <laughs> yeah, I yeah. think I kind of like the second Ant Man movie more than the first one. Oh, really? Okay. I think I just enjoyed seeing Ghost in the second movie. Plus, yeah, our Asian brother, man, Jimmy Woo. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, what's his name again? I forget. I, like I kept thinking, I think about what his name is, and the first thing that comes to mind is Asian Jim. <laughs> <laughs> Grandel uh, Park. Randall Park. There we go. Yeah. 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 He is. He is cool. And. We we did not see him in this movie. There was a, a surprising a cameo. Yeah, at at most, all we got out of him was a brief, very brief cameo. But you know, overall, uh, there was a there was a stunning lack of Agent Jimmy Woo. Man, we, yeah, we did not get enough Jimmy Woo. Yeah, so very disappointing. That... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you have any love for? The characters, Scott Lang, Hank Pym, Janet Van Dyne, Hope Van Dyne, or Cassie Lang, or Kang? Uh, I can't say that Ant-Man is is a character, is, is one of my pet characters. He really isn't. He never has been. Like, I I think I acknowledge that he's a, and it's not even this version of Ant-Man, but uh, I acknowledge that, that there was an Ant-Man who was the one of the founding members of the Avengers so it's like okay, cool, that's a thing. But um, I think it's always been hard to, I guess, to make an Ant Man movie work because, or or to make anyone really care about Ant Man as a character because you know, it's it's a lot less spectacular to watch when the guy's whole power set is to shrink to really tiny sizes and to watch him you know beat up people as a as a spec <laughs> right well i will say this I, I i do think now that i now that i'm thinking back on it the the fun thing about the first ant-man movie was that it did sort of make it fun to watch uh ant-man fighting you know fighting in in miniaturized form like yeah, there there were there were some fun things about that that were enjoyable. But now that I think about it, we did not really see that same 
we didn't see that same uh i guess joie vive brought to uh this ant-man because in this ant-man they literally shrink down to like the size of quantum molecules i don't even know if that's the right like term for what they are so you know everything is tiny in their universe right so if everything is tiny they're essentially all the same size <laughs> yeah it's all about <laughs> you know relative scale right yeah yeah right so so even though you know his entire power set is that you know guess what he shrinks and he gets tiny we did not really see any of that um we i really do feel like we literally saw them shrink down and you know maybe we get to see a couple of scenes of you know what the quantum realm looks like or whatever but um yeah generally speaking uh, a lot of the like visuals really surrounded him turning into like a speck and then popping up and then punching a dude or mm -hmm. or you know the opposite which is him turning giant or whatever which is you know which is whatever <laughs> yeah yeah so even in the comics that you read you wouldn't say you had any specific love for any of the main characters that were adapted into this movie no it, here's the thing about it man i i will say that i think there's a part of me that that wants if i ever got a chance to do an ant-man story i would if only because i take it more as a challenge than as you know as something where i truly have any sort of affection for the character if yeah that makes any sense yeah sure like he certainly isn't a captain marvel you know shazam for me he's not ragman he's not uh namor um who else is in in my sleepwalker he's not sleepwalker he's not <laughs> you know he's not dark hawk <laughs> yeah yeah so he's he's he definitely isn't someone that i have any real affection for but um so no incarnation know. of ant-man giant man or the wasp or stature none of them you you don't have any anything for them I might have some love for stature. Um, she did come out of that Young Avengers team, and I guess there's something. Well, I mean, there's nothing I hate about stature. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Uh, what about Kang? You have any love for Kang as a villain? I like Kang as a concept. Uh, he's 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 one he's one of those villains that I've always enjoyed more as a concept. Um, I don't know. I know you have your thing like, about not liking time travel, so I could see why you would have your problems with King. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I, I there there's stories with King that I think I want King to work. Um, you know, when there's a because even as a kid, he was one of those villains that was always placed as this really high level threat to the world to the avengers especially mm -hmm. and uh yeah so whenever there's a kang story i i want it i want to see him live up to that so yeah uh, i'd say 
yeah, I've I've definitely got more affection for Kang than Ant Man. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You? For Kang? For any of the characters. I don't really have any particular love for any of the Ant Mans or yeah. uh, the Wasp or uh, Stature. I mean, they're just fine characters, but I don't. Again, like you were saying, they're not my pet characters. You know, they're not char- they're not Silver Surfer or Darkhawk mm-hmm. or anyone like that. You know, like they're not the characters where I ever imagined. Oh, if I could do a story for any character, I would totally come up with something for for them. No, sir, I don't really have anything for them. Yeah. Uh, Kang, I do like as a character. I think he. I have read some pretty good. Kang stories, and that's probably why I like him more. Uh, yeah. I'm trying to think what my favorite Scott Lang or Hank Pym or Janet Van Dyne stories are, but it's kind of tough because I feel like the pickings are pretty slim. Usually they're just supporting characters in an Avengers comic. They, they don't yeah. really have too many of their own books, but that one time a few years ago when Nick Spencer wrote astonishing ant-man that was pretty good that was a good read but that That's was probably a different ant-man right i mean that wasn't scott lang was it no that was scott okay that was scott okay yeah the other the other ant-man that we haven't seen in the mcu is the one that robert kirkman did back in the early 2000s uh what was it? o'brien was that his O'Grady? name o'grady i think i think it was O'Grady? eric o'grady i want to say that was okay. his name and okay uh I don't remember the last time we saw him. I think he might have been in the Thunderbolts at some point, and then the last thing I remember I think, about him was he oh, was he was in, in Secret Avengers, Secret Avengers, and the then he died. Avengers. I think. Yeah, I think he. Well, he probably got better. Yeah, yeah. Well, he died, and then he was replaced by an android version of himself because they were fighting. That's right. Android That's right. replicants or something. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um. I think the Nick Spencer version of Ant-Man is probably the best version because it's not quite so much about superheroics as much as it is about it's more focused on the man part of Ant-Man than the ant part of Ant-Man. <laughs> yeah. That makes any sense? Yeah. Yeah. So that that was a version that I preferred to uh it was more about, you know, him being a dad, him uh, you know, juggling his responsibilities and then occasionally having to deal with um with with powers and like the world that's related to his powers but it was all kind of secondary to him being a dad yeah actually i just yeah. remembered another good scott lang series and it's it's not an avengers comic but he was in ff by matt fraction and michael aldred oh yeah he was uh the lead of that team yeah yeah that one was a good story too so those are probably the two things with Scott Lang that I'd recommend and you know actually remember. I haven't act. I suppose I haven't read the entire Nick Spencer run. I only read the first two arcs of it, and then I started finding it, it in quarter bins. So yeah, I found I started <laughs> yeah. collecting it in quarter bins, and it took me a while to get the rest of it. I do have it all now, but I haven't gone back to reread it all from the beginning. So maybe I'll do that one of yeah. these days. Yeah. Yeah, that works. So yeah, I guess, Cassie Lang, she's she's been in some pretty fun 
comics, but she's also been in some pretty bad ones too. Like, did you ever read? You ever read the Children's Crusade, Young Avengers? Uh, that was a pretty that, bad comic. Not Hudlin. What's his name? That uh, was Heinberg. Yeah, it was Heinberg yeah. and Jim Chung coming back to Young Avengers after all those years, and it was a. I didn't read I it. I thought I thought it was bad. You know how bad that comic was? It was so bad I ended up getting rid of my original hardcover of the Young Avengers story. Yeah. I was like, yeah. dude, if this is all it leads up to, I don't really need this in my collection anymore. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I never actually read it. I think, well, you know what? No, that's not true. I might have read it. Didn't didn't it end with, like, Dr. Doom's face being revealed or something? <laughs> something stupid? I don't remember that part. Okay. Okay, here's what I remember. Uh, I think, I forget who dies, but... I think the implication of it was that it leads to Iron Lad becoming Kang, basically, right? Uh-huh. So that's that's the only thing I, I do remember about it. Yeah, what I yeah. remember is Scott Lang. That's the one where Scott Lang comes back to life, but Cassie dies. Okay, okay. Yeah, I thought she died in that. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, that she got better. <laughs> yeah. And uh, now she hangs out with the android and. and- <laughs> everyone's happy <laughs> yeah but Kang I do have love for Kang so it was uh, I think because I I have that interest in Kang realizing that he was going to be the villain of this movie kind of removed my excitement to see him because to me, your excitement? say that again. I, I'm just clarifying what you said. You said removed your excitement to see him. Yeah, because I I think my conception of Kang definitely did not jibe with what the MCU gives us. I see. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I have to say that. The very premise of Ant-Man and the Wasp fighting off against Kang is a pretty... Uh, I, don't, I can't think of the word. I mean, far-fetched. to me, it's just... It's far-fetched. It's it's lame. It's flimsy. It's kind of hard to yeah. believe. Like, to me, Kang just operates on a much higher level, so... Like unless they were gonna completely play it off as a straight comedy, I don't, I couldn't see how it was gonna work. And just based on the trailer, it didn't seem like the movie was meant to be a complete comedy. Yeah, yeah. It felt like they were playing it pretty straight and playing it for drama, I guess. Yeah. I did think that you know since, well, I, we can save for the actual, you know, review, uh, but. I I can see that. I mean, especially if you have um, a a lot of affection for Kang, I could see that. Yeah, I don't know. I just I think I just always enjoyed his design. Thought his helmet was pretty unique looking. Yeah, he does have a pretty uh pretty memorable design, and I know you're not necessarily a huge fan of how a lot of these movie designs look but i thought the movie version of him looked 
like Kang. So, what was that? Yeah. I guess so. Probably didn't wear the helmet as much as I would have preferred him to, though. Yeah. I always I feel would... like it's pretty weak when whenever uh, these characters remove their helmet just so that we can see the actor's face better. I'm not too big yeah. on that. I think that's pretty lame. Um, like, especially, and, you know, this is a different movie that I'm going to talk about, but we've seen the commercial for the Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. And that's something that I'm kind of looking forward to just because I like James Gunn. I like the the other Guardians of the Galaxy movies. I have, like, genuine affection for those. But when they said that the villain was high evolutionary and we yeah. saw him, I was I was pretty I was pretty let down by that. I was really hoping that we would get, you know, the purple face mask with the mohawk built in, but we did not get that. So yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm dejected. I completely forgot that I was supposed to be high evolutionary because he wasn't wearing he the look armor. Like him. Yeah, he didn't look yeah. like him. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I was just like, "Come on, man! What's the point of this? Seriously, what's the point of the mask?" Well, should we go into our spoiler-free impressions of the movie, or? Yeah, sure. Let's officially go into it. I, I feel like the listeners probably already have a good feeling of where we stand on it. Yeah, Possibly. you don't got to be an empath to, yeah, exactly. to to figure out what exactly we're we're feeling, but yeah. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty bland movie overall. I'd say on the spectrum of love and hate, I don't exactly hate it, but I'm probably closer to hating it than I am to loving it, if you get what I'm saying. Yeah, if you had to choose a feeling that you had for it, it'd probably exactly. be closer to hate than love. That makes sense. Yeah, yeah. And like yeah. I was saying, I'm not a fan of the basic premise of having the Ant family face off against Kang. Uh-huh. And the movie's interpretation of Kang certainly doesn't fit with my conception of the character. So I have even less love for what they did with him after watching the movie. Mm. Yeah, I, mm. I can't say that I enjoyed it for the Kang. In fact, I, I think that probably... Well, there are quite a few problems with the movie, but that was probably the biggest problem for me. I, I think if they had gotten Kang right, I still would have been able to like have fun with it. But... Because they couldn't even do Kang properly, I just thought it was super lackluster. Mm. I see. Yeah, and I, I I think in terms of Kang, what I well, let me see. I'm trying. I'll try not to spoil it in in case uh, we're not in spoiler territory yet. But I guess with Kang, my conception of Kang is that. He's more of a mastermind, a schemer, a manipulator, and just someone who's more fearsome because there are parts of him that are just cold and cruel because he is a conqueror. And although they give lip service to him being a conqueror, I didn't really feel like it was very impactful. And I thought that the... The way that they wrote him and the way that Jonathan Majors portrayed him tried to make him come off as more of like he he had his moments of 
sympathy, I, I think, is what they were striving for. Like, they were trying to make him seem more human. They were trying to make him seem more emotional. And I'm not about that. Like, trying to make him seem more emotional and stuff is a way to humanize him. But I think Kang just works best when he's easier to hate, you know? Like, making him emotional and stuff just makes him seem kind of needy and pathetic when I think he should come off as arrogant or haughty and manipulative. So to me, that was just a fundamental misfire on the concept of him. I wasn't, I wasn't into that. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, I'm kind of curious though, now that you brought it up, like what, uh, like when you say that they were making him emotional, what, 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 which scenes or what exactly, or should we save that for the actual review? No, uh, we can. Well, if are we gonna go straight into spoilers now, or what are we doing? Mm, I think we're doing our initial impressions, or I guess so before the spoilers. Yeah, so I'll save that for the spoilers. Okay, I'll yeah. I'll ask I'll ask it when we get to that point then. Okay. Um, yeah, as for me, I don't think I had any real problem with Kang. Um, I'd even say that I I enjoyed Jonathan Majors to some to some degree. I do think that there are times where, and this isn't really a spoiler, but there are times later when there's versions of him uh, where we see Jonathan Majors doing like a british accent or something i thought that was weird i didn't i didn't <laughs> i don't think i've ever pictured kang as 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 a a brit or anything like that so i don't yeah i don't understand that choice per se um but yeah uh overall i was fine with him um granted i don't i don't think i consider myself a king purist or anything like that so um you know i i enjoy king just enough um but i guess my overall problem with the movie was just that it was boring formulaic i'd say generic it was a generic film and it just felt like what it felt like was they took a template for a pretty basic action movie and applied it to ant-man and that's what you got you know if you wanted to tell a pretty average middle of the road action story that just kind of checks off boxes on a checklist then yeah right this this is the mm -hmm. movie that you got it felt like I, I i can't say i i can't say that i know what their process was mm -hmm. for sure but you know, if you told me that they just had a bunch of focus groups that said, okay, this is what we want to see, and that's exactly what they put into the theaters, then I would believe it. If you told me that ChatGPT decided to make the most inoffensive, middle-of-the-road kind of movie, then and, and this was the script that it produced, I would believe it. Chat B. So, wait, what? What was it? Chat GPT. What's that? Oh, you, oh, okay. 
So I guess there's a lot of talk nowadays of uh, AI programs that uh-huh. people are are uh, beginning to explore, and one of the one of the new AI programs is ChatGPT, and the thing about it is it's an AI that produces text. So people are the one they're using it in a bunch of various ways, and one of the various things that they're doing is they're trying to use it to 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 see if it can generate fiction works of fiction that are <laughs> that can pass as something that was created by a real person okay and in some ways it i guess you could say it passes the test because it feels like okay a person wrote this but in other ways it feels like the most boring person in the world that lacks any sense of creativity or imagination wrote it so so you right. know perhaps grammatically it's accurate but in terms of just any value or meaning uh i think most people like most people can can tell when it's a chat gpt uh produced work it, it's it's also like that other uh the other ai thing that comes into mind is um have you seen those articles about AI gener- generated art? Yeah, that's been a pretty big thing in the art community yeah. and, and in comics as well. Yeah, it's another one. It's another situation similar to that, where but you know where the AI generated art is actual art, uh, you know, like a visual picture. Uh, ChatGPT functions for text, right, in that manner, and the AI generated art kind of has the same problem which is maybe technically it looks like art but when you're actually looking at it there's something it's missing something you know a soul perhaps <laughs> <laughs> a lot of the a lot of that ai art actually steals art from artists yeah i heard that artists too. too i heard that too yeah so not only is bad it's also stealing yeah <laughs> There you go. So does the but, script writing AI steal from other writers? I don't know exactly how it works, but I think it kind of functions in the same way where you feed it uh you feed it some prompts or you feed it some lines of text or dialogue and then based on what you feed it, it generates a script based on based on that. Okay. So I don't I don't know if it's theft, it just sounds lame but yeah uh yeah. yeah so that's that's my long-winded way of saying it It just felt like a you know a pretty uninspired uh like generic action movie superhero movie i guess yeah yeah i agree with yeah. that the visual aesthetics were not particularly creative to me it kind of looked and felt like a lesser version or a watered down version of some other Marvel movies that took place in space, like guardians of the galaxy or yeah. Ragnarok. There wasn't anything in, uh, unique about the microverse. Yeah. Or what did they call it? The quantum verse in the movie? Uh, I guess so. See, yeah. I, I, I didn't even think about that. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even spend the time or energy to think about that. I'm not even sure why um, they didn't call it the microverse. I don't know. 
maybe Hasbro's or one of the toy lines has uh, the rights to it, <laughs> oh, <laughs> so man. they can't use it. That would be pretty lame. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I was going to say, uh, just in terms of the aesthetics, and, and we talked about this a little after the movie, but I think if you're going to create this entire world called the microverse, there's an expectation that it's going to be different from space, right? There's got to be something that makes it distinctly different from space. and it just looked like space. And, they were on another planet. Yeah, and, and to be fair, aliens. like it's it's a pretty hard. I feel like if you're gonna create an entirely different world that just alters your perspective on you know with this microverse stuff, uh, like to be fair, I don't think there's a lot of people who can really. Oh, like, it would quantum take, realm. That's what they called it. Yeah, but it would take if, if someone like Grant Morrison or Alan Moore, if you could take what they envisioned in their mind and put it to paper, then there's a chance that that would accurately capture just the bizarreness and uniqueness of something like a quantum realm or a microverse, whatever you're going to call it. We would need an incredible artist to draw that, like. J.H. Williams III or Liam Sharp. Copious amounts of just LSD. Uh, that too. <laughs> and mind-altering drugs to really <laughs> generate something that would just be so out of this world and so hard to conceive. Yeah. Because to be fair, I mean, even the comics, the microverse usually just looks like another planet too. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know... Maybe I'm I'm feeling a little generous with with this movie in that regard. So and and I don't completely fault it for for that. But you know that's that's not a that's not a huge uh, bit of forgiveness on my end. You know it's still it's still yeah. not a great movie. Yeah. 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 It's just another yeah. boring big budget Hollywood action movie with expensive graphics and your typical. In typical MCU fashion, a bunch of CGI armies crashing into each other with flashy lights and explosions and stuff like that. Yeah. Very paint by yeah. numbers. Yeah, I'd say so. Yeah. I'd say so. And, and on top of that, I would also add that this movie didn't even seem to be about anything. Yeah. Like on a superficial level, I suppose you could say it was about rebelling against oppression, but. There was so little depth to it that I wouldn't call it a theme or anything, you know. Like there was no, there was no concept or idea behind. There's no substance. Yeah, there's no substance to it. Yeah, yeah. There's, there's absolutely little, no substance. Yeah, we get a little bit of lip service early on and throughout the movie about Cassie having this strong desire to make a social change. And yeah. in the beginning of the movie, you you see that she's got some, she expresses some disappointment in her father for not using his status as an Avenger and a hero who saved the world. He's not using any of that status to do kind anything of a sellout. about the current state of the world. Yeah, she regards him as a sellout. Yeah. Uh, you know, contrast that with, with Hope, who had a foundation that was supposedly doing some good work. But really, all of that stuff just goes nowhere. Like it doesn't 
go anywhere at all in the story. It's not really revisited or it doesn't come back into play. Yeah. At the end of it, you know, it's just a fist fight against the time traveling tyrant. So what does it really have yeah. to say? <laughs> yeah. Well, okay. I mean, I guess we can give like a brief summary of of what the movie's about and then just go into our spoiler free review. You mean our spoiler full review? Spoiler sorry, my bad. You're right. Spoiler full review. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um how's that sound? Let's do it. Okay. So what we have in Ant-Man Quantumania is we see Scott Lang. Ant-Man uh, and the Wasp. Don't be sexist now. You can't Sorry. forget about Ant the Wasp. Ant-Man and the Wasp. <laughs> we see that. Why do you hate women so much, Albert? When have they ever loved me, Drew? <laughs> oh, good point. Okay, let's, just, let's just talk about Ant-Man Quantumania. <laughs> Yeah, so we see that Ant-Man Scott Lang is now in he's in a different position in his life than he was in the beginning of the series. We see that he's regarded as a hero now after the events of Infinity War and we see that he's gotten his life together to some degree and for all intents and purposes, he should be happy, you know, because he's he's achieved some some sense of fame some sense of good fortune like he's no i i imagine that he's not broke but you know as you mentioned his daughter is dissatisfied with him because you know she's of a younger generation that really feels this need for heroism and she just feels that although ant-man is or scott lang is her father as much as she loves him, he just seems to fail to live up to that. But she has, on her own initiative, decided to do some research into the quantum realm ever since the return of Janet Van Dyne. And what she accidentally ends up doing is sending a homing signal to the quantum realm to some mysterious entity who draws the entire ant-man and wasp family into the quantum realm and they go there only to discover that kang the conqueror has enslaved an entire species within this realm a species that they were not aware of uh this entire society that they weren't aware of and it's up to ant-man stature wasp uh janet van dyne and Hank Pym to rescue this micro civilization. Tada! Yippee! Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. That's that's pretty much the the story. There we goes. That was a movie. <laughs> <laughs> it existed. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know. I guess we could try to break it down. Well, okay. So I guess we'll go into the spoiler full territories now and we'll just talk about it with reckless abandon. How's that sound to you? Sure, man. Sounds fine. Yeah. All right. 
So I was kind of curious about what you said earlier about how you said Kang, you know, showed emotion. I I don't know if I actually saw that or or if I felt really? that. I felt like yeah, he was emotional, curious. like so many scenes. I mean, I felt like his emotion was anger, but I believed that Kang could be angry. Yeah, but when when you get angry at every little thing that happens, you just seem like a whiny little bee. I mean, uh, I don't know. Well, other than that, I don't know if I felt any sympathy for him at any point. I think the way the movie was framed was to try and get you to understand him on some level. Like, even though it's quickly revealed that he is this multiversal conqueror. Yeah. There is a sense especially early on in the movie when you get those scenes the flashback scenes of him and michelle pfeiffer or yeah. uh, of kang and uh janet van janet. dyne yeah when they're in the quantum realm working to put together his his uh trying to repair his his time machine yeah like, there's a, a sense of camaraderie there between the two of them that really didn't ring true for me and huh. it seemed like it it was supposed to be it seemed like it was supposed to come off as sincere as opposed to Kang just taking advantage of somebody that could help him. Really? Huh. Yeah. Like I felt like the movie tried to show you that Kang does have these human feelings and emotions and that he's got this sense of of loneliness and needs companionship also. And that definitely um, didn't ring true to me. I mean, I think for me, seeing as I, I knew who Kang was and I knew what Kang was about, watching it, I I don't think there was any part of me that took it at face value. I, I just felt like he was always kind of scheming to get out of there. So I know he was scheming, but yeah, he seemed sincere in trying to offer her a way home also. That's and true. I, so yeah. I think that's why. So the the way that the movie is framed, I I, th I actually think the movie was sincere in trying to show you that King was a genuine person with humanity and, uh, you know, perhaps even vulnerable at times. He's he's got this sort of vulnerability that you don't usually see in the comics or ever really see in terms of his emotional, uh the way that emotionally he's presented in the movie it, it's just yeah man i i think that plus seeing him get angry at so many different things uh there was i felt like I, there were scenes where he got emotional or indignant i can't remember off the top of my head like a specific scene but i just think that there are too many scenes where he does get emotional and uh, just overexcited or or something, you know. Whatever it is, it, that just didn't work for me. Mm, I see. Okay. Okay. I mean, I because to me, Kang is more of a a schemer and a strategist. He's not somebody who who relies on other people as opposed to a strategist. 
<laughs> well, you know, Debris, Debris. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying. I, I'd never heard that, but I, I'm glad that I heard that today. <laughs> that was, did you, was that something you planned? <laughs> no, man. Just like okay. everything else on this podcast is totally <laughs> off the cuff. I like that, man. Uh, <laughs> Thanks, man. I'm Tom, glad I could make Tom you Brady, today. The, the, the NFL's greatest strategist. <laughs> uh, I was very impressed by his strategery. <laughs> nice. Thanks. Thanks. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. I'm going to. I think I'm going to just wallow in that for a little bit. I enjoyed that. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> that really took me by surprise. I was just like, wait a minute. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> okay, anyways. Yeah. I'm just thinking about all the Kang stories I've read, man, and, and or the Kang comics that I read and enjoyed. And I've, I feel like there are definitely scenes where he certainly is capable of getting angry or showing emotion, but usually those scenes are like the memorable moments. So, the, I mean, they stand out because he's not always on that dial, you know, like his dial's not always turned to 10. So when it, it does go to 10, you kind of sit up and pay attention, right? Like I think of something like Avengers Forever, where in some sense, that's a story where he needs the Avengers, but he's also trying to take advantage of them and use them for his own purposes. And there's there's a scene in there uh, relatively early on in the story, I guess partway through the story, where he just gets pretty upset and gives a long speech to kind of rally the team because he's so disgusted at an alternate version of himself that he wants to kill. And to me, like that was a moment where the emotion was warranted because it shows that he's such a, an arrogant being that the idea of another version of himself not being exactly what he thinks Kang should be, it's not worthy of existence. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Whereas yeah. I think the movie version of Kang, there wasn't any any of that. Like it just seemed like the kind of thing that would get a James Bond villain upset would get this Kang upset. You know, like he was never really one step ahead or anything like that. He was just kind of reacting to people, and uh, that scene in the flashback, you know. He was taken by surprise, which to me is pretty weird because if he knew how his technology worked, why wouldn't he realize that if Janet Van Dyne activated the engine core or whatever it was called, she would be able to learn who he was. And yeah, like, yeah, like if he's that smart, he would be prepared for that, you know, like he would know, okay, she's probably going to figure out who I am. And there's a good chance that she's got some kind of uh, moral fiber that will preclude her from allowing me to continue doing what I'm doing. So 
uh, once I get what I need from her, I should just put an end to her so I don't have to yeah. waste any time or risk anything. So like yeah. the very premise of it just seemed flimsy to me. The idea that Kang would be caught so easily unawares. Yeah, I, I will admit that as I was watching it, that was str- something that struck me as well. Just it probably would have made more sense for him to turn on her in that moment and then then to have her figure it out as you yeah. know as a byproduct of this you know of his technology or whatever exactly like, he's I, like trying to bargain think... with her and stuff that that is weak yeah. man that is that's not what king would do yeah 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 uh i mean i don't i don't know if i'm completely won over to that but i i, I will concede the idea of uh the technology aspect of that part of the movie being pretty clunky Mhm. Yeah. Yeah. Um Yeah, let's uh, how about this? We let's let's go over like the 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 different uh aspects of the film and and just go from there. Yeah, sure. Sure. Yeah. I mean, so we see here that we have the aesthetics of the film. Um yeah. What do you think of the look? We we did discuss a little uh, discuss it a little bit um i don't know about you but it yeah like i think the main thing that stuck out to me was even though this was supposed to be a completely new environment it ended up just looking a lot more like space it was pretty uninspired i will admit there are little things that i did find kind of interesting like those slug horses i was like oh okay that's you know nice touch i guess but overall uh you know the inhabitants of the world just looked they just looked like more aliens in, in fact there are humanoid looking creatures in that world and that's not something that made any sense to me at all <laughs> you know why yeah not just humanoid human looking yeah yeah uh, i was just like why are there people that look like people that's yeah that felt like that was a, a movie studio thing where they were just like, oh, we have to have, you know, actors, some people that, you know, look like humans, you know, on the off chance that so people find it mo- too off-putting or whatever. Yeah. But yeah, that's pretty I thought lame. That was, I thought that was pretty, I thought that was really dumb. Super I didn't dumb. Mean that. Yeah. Pandering to the lowest common denominator again. Yeah. Yeah. So there's that. Um, the world itself wasn't anything too impressive. It just probably just looked like more uh, Doctor Strange into the you know multiverse of madness kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I, I I can't say I was super into any of it. The 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 only thing that I probably liked was, as I mentioned before, just the the fact that Kang looks like Kang. Or that they, you know, did a version of his classic costume. That was probably it for me. Yeah. The yeah. design work was pretty bland overall. I mean, yeah. it looked like an expensive movie, but the, I don't know, just because it was expensive doesn't mean it was visually Good. stimulating. Yeah. 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 I thought Modoc it's... looked pretty bad, actually. Oh uh, yeah. Thought he looked cheap. 
it seemed like it seemed like they could have gone one of two one or two ways with Modoc. Like they could have either made him look really grotesque and disgusting because I mean if you imagine Modoc in real life, he'd look pretty gross. Or they just yeah. could have made him look comical, like really silly looking. And I feel like they tried to make him look silly, but it didn't look right to me, man, because his face, it just looked like what happens when you take an image with a native resolution of 800 by 600, and then you stretch it out to fill a 1280 by 720 monitor. That's what his face looked like to me, man. Oh. Well, here's really an idea. Here's an idea. All right. So seeing as how, uh, uh, what's his name? Yellow Jacket? I forget what his actual, like his human name was, but. Darren um, Cross. Okay. So the thing about him is uh, the way that I was interpreting it was because the last time we see him, he shrunk down, you know, Ant-Man basically messes up his shrinking gear. And he just shrinks down to infinitesimal size, right? Uh-huh. And as a result, when we see him now uh, in this universe, I, I think the presumption is that, you know, the the shrinking mechanism is all kinds of messed up. So as a result, as a byproduct of that, he's just a giant head with little, little tiny arms, right? Mm-hmm. So, I don't know. Maybe he's supposed to look weird that way yeah know, but I it just nothing. it just looked like his face was on a monitor or something like yeah yeah special, whatever special effects they that they used on him it didn't look like he was a flesh and blood stretched out in a grotesque manner uh fitting inside that little hover chair thing yeah yeah okay okay i will say that that explanation from Modoc, I thought that was clever. Uh, the origin story. From yeah, Modoc? the idea that, yeah, uh, the mm-hmm. idea that he was shrunk down, and because you know he wasn't, he's just kind of stuck in between sizes. That uh, as a result, yeah, he he's he's just this freak now, um, caught between, you know, his normal size and his micro teeny size (laughs) (laughs) yeah all right did you was there anything else in terms of the design uh or the look of the movie that you had anything to say about uh not too much i guess i mean there wasn't anything that really stood out yeah so yeah i feel like it's tough to really highlight anything i mean even in terms of the sound, I don't even think anything in terms of the soundtrack or sound design stood out. It was all, you know, like you were saying earlier, paint by numbers, middle of the road kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, we can go on to the acting and the direction. Uh, we, we talked about that with Kang a little bit, but was there anyone else that, you know, that you found... Well, okay, relatively memorable <laughs> for any reason, good or bad. Uh, I mean, not really, man. 
Yeah. In terms of the acting, I, I thought the acting was fine. The actors played their roles. Yeah. I, it even felt like Paul Rudd, who I do actually enjoy in, in his other roles, it, it almost felt like he was kind of dialing it in. I, I, I don't know. I, I can't say that I felt... <sighs> it was just professional work. That's all. Yeah, exactly. Nothing, exactly. Nothing specifically... Uh emotive or heartfelt about it but it wasn't really an emotive or heartfelt movie either so can't really blame yeah. him for it yeah um i did I like guess michelle it was pfeiffer cool that, yeah i guess it was cool that they gave michelle pfeiffer a good amount of screen time yeah yeah she had a pretty um, significant role who else was it? there was someone else that i was thinking of michael um, douglas that i mean that's the funny thing if you really think about it he didn't get a lot of i mean he i suppose relative to the other movies he did but i i'd probably say michelle pfeiffer got more screen time than than him yeah yeah what about um, evangeline lily she barely felt like she was in the movie at all like now yeah that it kind of felt it. like they didn't give her too much to do other than to show up for fight scenes and you know yeah, go and just action. walk around with them yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, I that's what that was, I, who I was going to talk about. Go ahead. What were we going to say? Oh, I was just going to say, I, I think one of the weaknesses of the movie was that they just spent almost the entire movie in the quantum realm. But I think it was actually the stuff in the real world in San Francisco that was more interesting. Because like when they showed that scene in the beginning of her running this foundation, I would have wanted to see more of that, man. Like, let's see how, how her uh, foundation is affecting the world and and she's engaged in these humanitarian efforts like that would have been a more interesting story to me actually now that you mention it that is a good point because they were talking about how oh using these ant powers they're able to you know theoretically solve world hunger and you know all this other stuff like shrinking might not be the greatest power for fighting but like that the real world applications of that power would be they would change everything if you really stopped and think about it and Mm -hmm. they just kind of touched on it to just automatically throw them into uh you know action shenanigans exactly yeah uh but i was gonna say the the other like weird minuscule surprise was that they had bill murray in it yeah, they could have had anybody to play that role. He, he could, that, yeah, it, it didn't need did. to be Bill Murray. That, yeah, he really didn't do much. It felt like it was their version. It was the Ant Man version of having Jeff Goldblum in Thor. <laughs> That's right. It really just felt like, oh, we we just want a big name to make a cameo so that you know people can giggle or hoot and holler or whatever it is people do. But <laughs> yeah, like that, that just, I mean, I guess you could call that a uh, fan servicey, I guess. Why is Lord Kryler a fan favorite? No, but Bill Murray is. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> nice. But. I don't I don't even know who that character was. I was like, who's this guy? 
I've never heard of him. I don't him. think if that if that character was based on a comic book character, it wasn't anyone significant. Yeah. 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 It it just felt well on some level it's it's pretty apt because it just felt like everything else in this movie just it it was a waste of Bill Murray and it was pretty substanceless. It was just a cameo for the sake of a cameo, you know? Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. And and just again, he, he really didn't bring any extra added value to his scene or to the movie. Yeah. So there's that. Yeah. What did you think of the young lady who played Cassie? Oh, uh, she was fine. I didn't really think about her too much, honestly. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty, pretty forgetful overall. Forgetful uh, or forgettable? Forgettable. Sorry. Yeah. It was not part of my strategy to <laughs> to forget <laughs> to forget which word to use. Um. Yeah. All right. So I guess we got the acting and the directing down. Well, well did you have any thoughts it? about Peyton Reed? Peyton Reed. Peyton Reed. Peyton Reed. The director. Oh yeah. Uh, I think the one thing that I I I did ask you at the end of the movie was, what is this guy worked on? <laughs> yeah, and I didn't remember. But then when I looked it up, I realized he was the same guy who did the first two Ant-Man movies too. Oh, he was? Yeah. Oh. Well, okay. I guess th- this is a good point to to bring this in, in now that you've mentioned it. And it's it's worth mentioning now. But uh, the other thing that I, I did notice about this movie was that and, and this isn't necessarily something that is a must for me, but I will say that for the Ant-Man films, it really did feel like there was a lack of cohesion. If you look at all three of the movies, mm-hmm. you know, if if Ant-Man's one, two, and three, you know, we've 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 grown accustomed to living in this world where trilogies are kind of the the expected format and formula for for movies. So if we are to take those three movies, Ant-Man 1, Ant-Man and the Wasp, and Ant-Man and the Wasp Quantumania, if we were to take those three movies and look at that that as a whole piece of work, um, it almost felt like there was just zero cohesion. Uh, this movie just moved really, really fast to, 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 to throw you into the action. It really didn't feel like it was part of... It really didn't feel like any of the things that had happened in the previous three movies really mattered or had anything to do with it. And yeah, it, it just felt like it almost felt like we were contractually obligated to do this third film and now <laughs> we have done it. You yeah. Know? Yeah. And and you know, I'm not saying that every trilogy needs to be that. I, I think that there are a lot of instances where you can have a trilogy and they don't necessarily have to have a cohesion against all three films. Like we, we have become a little too accustomed to that. So I'm not saying that that's, that's a must have in terms of movie viewing experiences, especially trilogies. Like I do think if you just have thematic trilogies or a trilogy where 
the movies are don't necessarily feel super related or tied down by continuity as long as they're good that's not a problem but the thing is this wasn't really a good movie it was a fine movie it was a movie (laughs) yeah it was a movie (laughs) it was a movie but other than that like i can't yeah it, it really didn't feel like it brought anything to to the ant-man franchise if anything it just made me go look at it like um if anything it made me look at the other ant-man films and kind of wonder like if they were just you know trying to fill quotas or if they were just you know if, if they were just tired of doing these films or what you know yeah there yeah. wasn't anything particularly distinct about the direction nothing stood out yeah. it really felt like another marvel movie done in their house style yeah like i feel yeah. like in a lot of these autopsies we've done of marvel of mcu stuff we've often mentioned how they tend to follow a typical formula and there's a there's a lot of predictability and patterns that are common throughout most of the mcu flicks well this is like pretty prototypical of that formula i would say yeah like it it's like at least movies like eternals love and thunder wakanda forever at least you can say that those had hints of their director's fingerprints in them Hmm. and granted i haven't seen any of peyton reed's other non-ant-man movies but yeah there wasn't anything in this one that felt distinct at least his first two ant-man movies had those scenes with michael pena with uh luis that character telling those stories right like if that was the one thing that could unite all three ant-man movies then okay i might give him some credit for that but this movie didn't even have that (laughs) yeah i mean now that i'm thinking about it maybe you can say that the plot is a natural progression the natural progression of the plot would ultimately lead them to go to the quantum realm but that's like the flimsiest uh connection that you can have you know like other than that it it really didn't feel like there was any connective tissue whatsoever does scott lang go through a character arc where he learns how to become a great father I guess you could say that that technically is in there but it it wasn't something that really meant too much to me either like i I didn't feel it yeah you know mm-hmm. yeah yeah man well, well there we go at least he got paid yeah good for good for uh <laughs> paul rudd and Peyton I was going to call him Peyton Manning Peyton Reed (laughs) (laughs) yeah there there aren't really too many other Peytons man yeah good for Peyton Manning and Peyton Reed (laughs) Peyton Manning, Peyton Reed and Peyton Hillis those are the only Peytons I can think of (laughs) and two of them play football or used to play football alright uh so if we don't have anything else for the direction, we can move on to the plot. 
Yeah, what did you think about the writing and the story overall? I, I think it's consistent with everything that we've been saying. It's, you know, I I don't think that there were things about it that I found egregious, but there weren't necessarily things about it that I found memorable or creative or clever. Um, yeah, at the end there, of the day. There were some jokes that made me laugh. That's true. That's true. There were some jokes with uh modok that were actually funny um mm-hmm. i do think i did like the the scene where towards the end where kang's like you know and, and this is the thing where <laughs> you know if you're a if you're a real kang fan this might be the scene that makes the most sense but it doesn't live up to the reality of the movie itself but it's the scene where kang is fighting scott lang and you know true to form he's beating the crap out of scott lang which does make sense but he gets to the end of it and he goes you know you think you can beat me um you talk to ants and it's like (laughs) okay yeah i buy that scene but ultimately ant-man does end up beating him which doesn't make sense yeah, it it makes less sense. Um, there were quite a bit of inconsistencies with Kang's power level throughout the movie because in the battle scenes, when he was using his armor to fire energy beams at people, he was hitting you know nameless foot soldiers in the rebellion, and they were just yeah. disintegrating after getting hit by a beam. But then once he starts fighting Scott Lang and Hope Van Dyne, you know, suddenly those lasers aren't as powerful anymore. Yeah. What? They've got the relative strength of an ant, strength and durability of an ant, Drew. <laughs> That's true. That, that yeah. I will. You have you have stumped me with your logic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ants are pretty dang durable, man. They are pretty hard to kill, so... The, like all all kidding aside, ants are pretty hard to kill. Yeah. Um, yeah. Especially when there's a bunch of them. Yeah. Yeah. Uh there was the scene where yeah, so you know, there I, I will say this. Um when I saw the scene in the trailer where where Janet Van Dyne very early on talks about how there was something that I didn't tell you guys. Like that's always a bad sign for me. where it's like everything you knew was a lie this all could have been solved if she had just told you the truth you know i yeah i I think logically you can say okay maybe she was suffering from some sort of trauma or whatever and but still it's in and of itself that's not necessarily selfish and annoying yeah it's not michelle pfeiffer is beautiful and everything but i wasn't too appreciative of how she kept the secret from her family. And even when they ended up in the quantum realm, she still wasn't telling them the story until it was like too late. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And yeah, speaking of the plot, it and this, you know, just goes back to what I was saying a little bit earlier about the the direction of the film. It it really did feel like it was just fast. It was just this device to get them into the quantum realm as quickly as possible so that they could, you know, have their adventure. 
like the amount of time that they spent in the real world, the amount of time that they spent like developing any of this was pretty minimal. Mm-hmm. And, 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 you know, they, they, they tease out these little ideas about what Ant-Man's life is like now that he's an Avenger and he's no longer, uh, you know, no longer an outlaw, no longer a criminal, no longer on the run, but, yeah, the the main point of it was just how quickly can we get them into the quantum realm so that we can have them fight a bunch of, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the other thing about the plot that I I, I have to say uh, that I'm getting tired of is we we've talked about this in other episodes, but I, you know, I do think it applies here. Uh, we, we know I, I've mentioned in the past how the idea of um you know post post apocalypse dystopian futures are, are are kind of things that i'm just tired of but one of the you know signature uh elements of any post apocalyptic uh, post apocalyptic dystopian future is that you also, you always have to have a resistance right yeah and yeah i think in general just the idea of like a resistance is something that i'm just getting tired of like we, you always have to have a bunch of natives who are, you know, who are overpowered. Is it overpowered? Is that the right term? Overpowered, uh, overwhelmed, overmatched. They're just waiting for yeah. their savior to come and rescue them. Exactly, exactly. And then, you know, someone gives a speech and they rise up and then, you know, uh, everything's happy now. Like, I'm, I'm just really tired of that. Like, I'm not really looking forward to more movies where you know they do some some version of braveheart or or whatever where it's like we need to rise up and you know if you just learn to be heroic if you learn to never give up you'll 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 be able to save yourselves and uh you know you'll truly earn your freedom or something stupid or something (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just i'm not I'm, i'm not enamored by any of that anymore yeah it's not an enamoring concept it's not it really it's isn't trite yeah 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 i mean um, i'll even say i think there is a way to do that kind of story and make it impactful but they would have to build the story around that idea and that's not what they did here it's more just a a typical trope because of the world that they concocted for the film, you know, so they ha- felt like there had to be a resistance that rises up because Cassie gives a speech and rallies yeah. everybody for the big yeah. battle. But yeah. it, it didn't really feel meaningful it felt, or yeah. impactful. It, it felt like they were just expected to have this and people behaved accordingly because, you know, hey, someone's rising up. So I guess that's enough to inspire us because that's just how these things work, right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I I can't say that that aspect of the movie did anything for me. Mm-hmm. Um, I wanted yeah. to bring up the screenwriter of the movie, uh-huh. Jeff Loveness. You're familiar yeah. with his work, right? Because he came from writing Rick and Morty episodes. I'm familiar with his work from the show, but I'll also admit I don't know exactly which episodes he wrote. Okay. So, 
like I couldn't tell you. I mean, at this point, the if you watch the show as a whole, you you can go, okay, well, the show has like good moments and bad moments. But um, I, I I will say this from what I from the episodes that I have seen of Rick and Morty, and and what I saw in this movie, uh, I will say that um, the flourishes of of like true creativity. And well, maybe genius might be a little too much, but I don't really know what other word to use. But <laughs> you know, the 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 flourishes of genius and creativity that you would normally see in in a Rick and Morty episode is not present in in this film. So, uh, hmm. you know, like I wouldn't I wouldn't say if you're gonna ju- uh, like judge Jeff Loveness's work. Just based on this, I, I don't think that's an adequate representation of of his work. Granted, I'd have to double check which episodes he actually worked on, but here, here's here's another example. Mm-hmm. One of the showrunners for She-Hulk, for example, she was. I I do know which episode of uh of Rick and Morty she worked on, and I do think that that same type of thought and uh creativity that was put into she-hulk especially towards the end of the series Mm -hmm. that is also i think that's consistent with the the quality of work that she was putting into rick and morty so okay okay yeah so i do think you know the talent is definitely there but i don't know i I don't know what this script was i I really truly don't know did you know jeff loveness has also written some comics. I do. I do. I don't remember reading any of his comics, but I do know that he wrote some comics. And I do know that uh, when I found out that he had come from Rick and Morty, uh, it made me more interested to read his comics. But yeah, I, 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 I still haven't really gotten my hands on any of his actual comics. Yeah. I think I remember finding an issue or two of his Groot comic in the quarter bins, uh-huh. but it was never something I collected. Yeah. And I believe he also wrote a Nova comic. Richard Ryder. Richard Ryder? Yeah, that version of Nova. Oh, okay. Right, right. I was going to say, uh, I mean, at least he's not taboo. <laughs> yeah, he's better than taboo. <laughs> Unless taboo turns, unless taboo turns out to be great. <laughs> yeah, it's true. I I shouldn't I shouldn't be so dismissive of the least famous member of the Black Eyed Peas before I read his <laughs> actual comics. Yep, yep. For all we know, he's a he's a comics genius. <laughs> he could be better at comics than he is at making music. I thought you were gonna say, then at then he is at life. <laughs> Oof. oh man okay i just looked up jeff loveness on wikipedia and i'm looking at his bibliography of comics he wrote a pretty decent uh smattering of stuff for marvel mostly one shots but he's written some spider-man issues he's written something called avengers no more bullying number one (laughs) Okay. 
that okay. could be a, a pretty amusing public service announcement kind of comic. <laughs> if I came across that yeah. in the quarter bin, I'd totally buy that for the novelty of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay, okay. Did you know that uh, Jeff Loveness has signed on to write Avengers, the Kang Dynasty? The movie? Is that? Oh, that's him? Yeah. That's That's the funny thing about his work though is if you've ever watched Rick and Morty then you know that a lot of his work has to do with the multiverse because that's just kind of one of the the I guess the fundamental cornerstones of Rick and Morty right is uh, uh-huh. so much of their mythology is based on um, multiverses so the funny thing is to get him to write this Kang story just kind of makes him the multiverse guy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. He's getting pigeonholed as the multiverse guy. Yeah, exactly. It's, uh, it's pretty ridiculous. <laughs> I can imagine him going, but I wanted to write a Viking epic. You, you can't just, you can't just, uh, you can't just clip my wings, man. <laughs> Well, maybe we'll get a scene in the Kang Dynasty where they have to go to Viking times. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right. You got anything else for the plot? Nah, it was pretty forgettable. Yeah. And it, it was. and forgetful. <laughs> it was. It was. Yeah, I don't think I really have much of anything else to say to it. It's it's I, I just feel like if someone imagined if I if I gave you a cup a a, a a two sentence heck if I give you a one sentence description of this movie and you imagined what the rest of the plot was going to be like uh, I'm pretty sure you anybody would get it on the money. That's, yeah. That's how. That's how generic the plot was. Yeah, I feel like more of my energy thinking about the movie was spent on imagining what they could have done instead of what they did do. Yeah. And that's never a good sign. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go to the influences and the ideas. I don't really have too much for that either. Cause I don't think yeah. that this movie had anything to say about anything. Yeah. It just felt more like it was acting in service to the MCU machine, you know, setting up characters and plot lines for future installments of the MCU. Yeah. So it's like yeah. a two hour long commercial to watch more Marvel movies, basically, except you have to yeah. pay to watch this one unless you wait for it on streaming. Yeah. And then you're just paying for the streaming service. <laughs> Well, you could go to the library and just borrow it once the DVD comes out or the Blu-ray. That is true. That is true. Yeah. What was I going to say? I was going to say, oh, yeah, one of the things when we get to the end of the movie is, so Ant-Man beats Kang, and, you know, we're done with that. So it's like, okay, uh, you know, this version of, Kang has been neutralized, but there's a, you know, they they drop hints that there's something bigger coming, and 
what we see at the very end in the teaser is uh, we see Immortus and we see Scarlet Centurion and Ramatut, right? Mm-hmm. And the thing is, um, the the big thing that they're teasing is you thought one Kang was bad. Well, <laughs> imagine an army of Kangs. And uh, yeah, the, we, we actually see a literal stadium full of Kangs. And that's, you know, that's the threat. And you know, even though I didn't have any, I didn't have the same sort of fundamental problems with King that you did in terms of Jonathan Major's portrayal, I will say that that idea of an army, a literal army of Kings does not do it for me. So that it's, didn't excite you? No, it didn't. It did not, not, it did not, it did not tickle your hackles? It did not. It deflated my hackles. Okay. My my hackles are absolutely untickled. I see. Yeah. Is it just Rough because man. you don't like the idea of having all these alternate versions of a dude uh, group up and form a mob? That's the thing. Well, I don't like that, certainly. But I do think that the basic calculus of it is pretty failed in and of itself in that here, here's, here's how, how I think of it. The, the version of Kang that I'm accustomed to, and we talked about this a little is, uh, you know, I'm, I'm accustomed to thinking of him as this warlord figure. And the thing that makes him a threat is that he has traveled time building this massive army and you know he's he's come to the future to come to earth to to conquer it right so the idea of him with this army from the future that works for me i'm cool with that right but the idea of an a army, of, him? army of, of kings it one you know as powerful as kang is uh at the end of the day like kang's just a regular guy with technology right so yeah it, it just feels like what's to stop them going to the multiverse and getting an army of iron men's or an army <laughs> of thor's or an army of captain america's that it yeah just because man good guys have moral lines that they don't cross and one of the lines <laughs> is don't mess with the time stream <laughs> it's it's just silly right <laughs> the, the idea that one king is powerful, so a bunch of kings must an army of kings makes it even worse. And I don't know, it just feels childish, dude. It's it's the if you applied that logic, you could look at something like Thanos and go, man, Thanos was pretty bad. He was a <laughs> tough he was a tough mamma jamma. But imagine if you know instead of just one Thanos, we just faced an army of Thanoses in that last scene of Endgame. Like, it's a really, <laughs> it's a really lame tactic, right? And and on top of that, like, all it does, all it d serves to do is to make Kang less special of anything, you know? Mm -hmm. So, mm -hmm. so I prefer the idea of Kang as there can only be one Kang and uh, yeah, there can only be one king, and that's what makes him a threat. And and I and you know, I'd even go so far as to say, like, 
I don't have any problems with the idea of Immortus because Mortis to me is actually a different character, even though they're the same person. And I think that dynamic is pretty interesting in and of itself. The idea that there's a, an even further future version of Kang and they end up despising each other. That's something that resonates with me because I live with the mistakes of my current life. And if I could go back in time and mess up that, Albert, I would. Heck yeah, man. The whole what reason have you done? that my life is the way it is right now is because of the decisions that my past self made 10, exactly. 15, 20 years ago. So if exactly. I could go back in time and just beat the crap out of him, I would get some satisfaction. <laughs> exactly. But in all seriousness, like, I don't think that Immortus like really falls into that same formula because you know they're both individual characters and it's that dynamic that works right mm-hmm. but if you just have an a literal army of kangs that's just lame dude it's i mean i know that this is a thing that we've seen in 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 the comics but that was not a version of kang that i was hoping to see what was that story? I don't think I read that one. Uh, I had to look it up, but I I don't know exactly which story it is, but there have been stories in the past apparently where <laughs> they're literally fighting, you know, a team of kings or something like that, and this was just the natural extension of that idea. Mm, I see. I see. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was looking at the Wikipedia yesterday and I did see it, but I just don't. Uh, here, let me let me take a look at this. It says here, Prime Kang and the creation of alternate selves. Years later, the Beyonder plucks Living Kang from the time stream to part to participate on the villain side of the first Secret Wars. Soon after, it is revealed that while Kang has indeed died, his constant time traveling has created a number of alternate Kangs. The Kang. The Kang to discover this had been drawn to Limbo after his time travel vehicle was destroyed by Thor. Finding Immortus remains uh, finding Immortus's remains inside the fortress. Kang assumes the Lord of Time to be deceased and discovers the alternate versions of himself using viewing devices he finds. Although he does not realize that Immortus is also a version of himself, at one point he brings Ravona to Limbo from... Ugh, man, this is so tedious. Uh... <laughs> Uh, yeah, determined to be the only Kang, he joins with two particularly cunning divergents whom he determines he cannot easily eliminate, the three forming a council that systematically destroy the other alternate versions. He destroys one of the other two Kangs and brings in the Avengers as part of a plot to destroy the other one. Uh, okay. Yeah, but you get the general idea. <laughs> I get the general idea that it's extremely convoluted. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah, and I think that's probably not... the biggest problem with Kang and any kind of heavy time travel sort of story. It all yeah. gets up when, uh, when everything piles up. It gets pretty convoluted. Yeah, yeah. If you open it too much to the to the time travels and the rules of time travels, it it becomes the thing that I hate about time travel, which is you know so much focus on the the mechanics and the logic of it all you know, everything having to make sense so that you can tell your story when it was so much simpler when he was just 
a dude from the future who put together an army and decided he wanted to conquer the past. You know? It was yeah. so much easier when it was just that. Yeah. I think the classic conception of Kang is probably the best. Um, and by classic, I don't necessarily mean like his very first appearance or whatever. I just mean like our prototypical notion. Yeah, of, just a conceptual version of, of King. Is. Yeah, because yeah. the thing that makes King work is when you do keep him simple because, like you said, he's a time traveler who's conquered all these other uh, periods of time and he keeps coming back to our time and he keeps failing yeah. because this is an Avengers world. And that's the reason yeah. why he can't win here. Yeah, exactly. So that's what it and should he, be. Exactly. And he lives with the constant knowledge. He's got so much hubris that he can't accept that these primitives would beat him. So he just keeps coming back to our time trying to mess us up. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he can't allow himself to lose to, for all intents and purposes, what he views as cavemen with sticks. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty much. Yeah. But yeah, that is the probably the best version of Kang, the ideal version of Kang. But maybe some people think it's too simple. I don't know. Like I, I can't say that what we saw in the movie really made me want to see more of that. Like I don't I don't think the, the final conclusion of all of the Avengers taking on an infinite army of kings. <laughs> what if we have infinite Avengers, though? Don't you want to see infinite Avengers fight against infinite kings? No, not really. <laughs> not really. <laughs> <laughs> I will say this. There was one scene that I did kind of like, which was... It's the scene where... I forget exactly what happens, but they walk in on Kang, and he's sitting in his floating hover chair in that sort of uh dandy kind of posture and yeah that's, that's like Kang. something straight out of the comics yeah, yeah i was like definitely. that was a cool look when he was like sitting laid back in his little floating chair thing except he should have had the helmet on dude yeah he should have had the helmet on yeah should have had it on the whole time man yeah yeah how many times in the comics do you see kang take off the helmet i remember he did it in kang dynasty at the end i think yeah. But when he's fighting, he has the helmet. Exactly. And then, you know, in terms of other, I guess, influences and ideas, we talked about this a little, but I do feel like one of the main ideas that they, you know, aside from being a hero or whatever, like one of the things that I guess if you really had to draw a thematic line through it would be the idea of um, we never give up. And, you know, <laughs> never giving up is, is a good thing. And try to find the courage to never give up. Always uh, resist uh, always resist tyrants. Yeah, stuff like that, right? And that's not really... That's another thing where it's not really... Technically, it is a theme, but in and of itself, it's super flimsy, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, that was a thing that I remember Rick and Morty actually did an episode of where they were making fun of that concept <laughs> where um, they had a, a team that was a stand-in for, you know, like the Avengers of the Justice League, right? And yeah. 
the main character on that team, their version of Captain America or whatever, was just a dude who just kept spouting these meaningless platitudes, just saying things like, as long as you know you're on the side of right, that makes you a hero because we're all heroes. Stuff like that, you know? <laughs> meaningless, just inane drivel. <laughs> and <laughs> See, that's the thing that's funny to me is that was an episode of Rick and Morty and I don't know if Jeff Loveness did that episode, but if he did, he completely understands the, you know, the banality of that sort of storytelling. And he understands the the blandness of that idea of, you know, everybody's a hero. If you just believe, if you just, you know, and he did it stand anyway. on the side of good. Yeah. And he did it anyways. <laughs> uh, it was a paycheck, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, probably a pretty hefty one. Yeah. Well, I don't know. It's Disney. I don't That's true. <laughs> I don't know that they are very good at compensating their their people. Yeah, that's a good point. I have no idea. Yeah. You got anything else? Did you have any thoughts about the the post credits or mid credits scenes? I mean you mentioned we already mentioned a little bit about the the stadium full of Kang, so I think we know that's happening at some point. But yeah. do you have any thoughts as to like how that could play out or what they could well, do with it? I was gonna say Rama Tut was kind of a hard hard thing to do. I don't I don't know. I I don't know that that was a that felt like that was a thing that was purely just relegated to comics. I don't know that that was something that they that there was any way of translating that and making it work. But what, don't you want to see a flashback scene where Rama Tut fights off against Apocalypse in ancient Egypt? Not really. <laughs> you don't want to see that, Albert? Do you even like comics, bro? <laughs> <laughs> might like that stuff <laughs> wow you said his uh, name okay yeah that just means that he's gonna come to life now <laughs> uh, well anyways what was i gonna say um yeah I, I i don't know like i i have a feeling that it's gonna be exactly what we think it is which is the next big threat is gonna be this army of kings that are going to you know be a threat to the the universe and that's what they're gonna have to deal with um i remember when we were talking about i forget what we were talking about uh, it might have been loki or something adjacent to loki i don't remember exactly but we were talking about how our one of our ideas for the future of the mcu was the potential that they would do a a version of Hickman's incursions, right? So if we get to see a bunch of Kangs, what's gonna end up happening is that they just mess up the you know, the multiverse so badly that we're gonna start to see incursions and then we're gonna they're gonna have to inevitably deal with it. I don't know that we're gonna see it at this point. I don't even know if it that'll feels save like that's it farther than what we thought before. Yeah, exactly. Exactly, right? It almost feels like even if they do do it now, like I don't even know if that's gonna save save it, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. If I had to be perfectly honest. So, yeah. Yeah. Did you I have think... any ideas? Oh, um, what were we going to say? I was just going to say, I, I think you're right, man, about... Because uh, I I would definitely have rather... I would have definitely rather seen a story about the incursions than a bunch of Kangs. Yeah. Yeah. But then like, again... If, we had, if they had given us just standard Kang the Conqueror and then Ramatut, Immortus... And yeah. Scarlet Centurion, okay. And Iron yeah. Lad, Iron Lad even. Yeah. Like, keep it under, like, five. I think I can be okay with that. But yeah. once you get, like, a million of them, and they're all just, they all just become disposable soldiers, yeah. the specialness of being Kang is completely lost. And then at that exactly. point, you're just questioning, what's the point of all this? Like, why even, why even have Kang if that's all he's going to do is just have an army of himself to throw at the heroes. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's not like I get it. Kang is supposed to be special because he's this genius from the future. But if you think about it, anyone from the future really has access to that same kind of technology. Right. So for all we know, he could be, you know, a half wit, like booster gold. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. What if it was an army of them? Oh, man. I want to see that. Yeah, <laughs> that's what that's what uh, James Gunn should have them do in the DC universe. <laughs> it turns out that at the end of uh, Phase Four or whatever phase this is, uh, a bunch of uh, orderlies from the future show up, and they're like, "We don't know why you've had such a hard time dealing with Kang. He's really a simpleton in our future. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's a moron. He's." He's dumber than your average person, so I don't understand why you're having such a hard time with him. <laughs> he's a delusional lunatic who thinks he's a super villain. <laughs> that would be great. Yeah. But we, we do know that one of the uh, last two... Well, the last two movies that they've announced in this cycle, in this... I don't know. Are they calling it a saga? I guess they're calling it a saga. Uh, the multiverse saga or whatever it is. Yeah. It's, it's going to end with another two-part Avengers story. And one of them is called Avengers The Kang Dynasty. And then the last one is called Avengers Secret Wars. Let's see. Yeah. I don't know. It's... I think I was fine with stuff up to this point, but I just Ant Man really hasn't, I guess, done much to to make me excited for for this last arc. Uh, yeah. Eh. Well, hey, sarah, sarah. later this year we're gonna have the next uh, Captain Marvel movie called The Marvels. Yeah. Dude, what if The Marvels introduces us? To Marcus. Oh wow! I don't want to touch that one with a ten-foot pole. <laughs> <laughs> That's the thing that always didn't make sense to me. Or, well, no, this is this might be a continuity thing, but Scarlet Centurion is Kang, but it's also Marcus, right? There. Big yeah. versions of him that were Marcus. Yeah. But I also think there were versions of him that were King too. 
Yeah, exactly. It gets pretty confusing. Yeah. Like, I thought what Kurt Musiak did with him in uh, Kang Dynasty and his Avengers run, that was probably the version of Scarlet Centurion that made the most sense, minus the, uh, the weird rape stuff. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I do wonder if they're going to take some kind of inspiration from Kurt Busiek's Kang stories in those future Avengers movies, though. That could be interesting. I mean, but that's the thing is, like, we've already gotten past the point where we're kind of committed to the Kang army. So, I don't know. Because he didn't do the army full of Kangs for, for his run. You know? No, no. But he he did do two of the best Kang stories ever. He did Avengers Forever, and he did the Kang Dynasty. Yeah. So Avengers Forever was a 12-issue series with Carlos Pacheco art, and that one was about a war between Kang and Immortus. Yeah. And that, and, again, that works because... It's one king, one Immortus. <laughs> yeah, exactly, exactly. So I wonder if, I wonder if this stadium full of kings is gonna eventually get whittled down so that we just have two of them left, and then I'd those be fine two, with that. Yeah, I'd be fine with that. If and then something those two happens, just have a massive war. Yeah, if if all the kings die, and you know, it's like the Highlander. It's it's just left up to you know. There can only be one, and it's we're just left up with one Kang and one Immortus. Okay, I was down with that. Yeah. So yeah. Like, if they do something like that, where Kang basically gets this makeshift team of alternate universe Avengers, sort of as his pawns in this bigger battle, I could see that being like a pretty big blockbuster hit in terms of just drawing people in because of the novelty of seeing either classic actors come back to their roles or new actors portraying alternate versions of the uh -huh. heroes uh-huh so there's definitely a big amount of commercial viability in that yeah 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 yep But the yeah. other big Kang story that Busiek wrote was when he was writing the Avengers series, and he he had a a really long story, a sixteen part story called the Kang Dynasty, and that one that one was, I would say, it goes back to the heart of what we were saying earlier with Kang, where we like it because he we, we like the character because he is a tyrant warrior who has conquered all these other time periods, but. He keeps coming back to this one just to prove that he can. Yeah. And he never can yeah. because it's always the Avengers in his way. But in Kurt Busiek's Kang Dynasty, Kang finally succeeds. He literally conquers the world. Yeah. Yeah, that's a, a super memorable storyline. I, I think that's probably Busiek's best Avengers story. It's either that or Avengers Forever. Probably pick those Ultron over. Unlimited. I'd probably pick Kang Dynasty or Avengers Forever over Ultron Unlimited. Really? 
Okay. I kind of like the art better in those other comics. <laughs> yeah. I mean, sorry, George Perez. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah, that's... Yeah, I forgot. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I didn't mean any... And I didn't mean anything disrespectful. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is an uncomfortable moment. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, but... Yeah, I don't really know what else they're going to do for the future films. Oh, well, I guess the, the second post credit scene, they're they're teasing the next season of Loki. So, yeah, you know, and if you watch the Loki show at the end of that, you know, he he had to live with the fact that reality was altered and he goes on the run and think they're going to try to assassinate, you know, King Prime or something. Abraham Lincoln King Crime. <laughs> Victor <Yeah>. Timely. <laughs> That's what they called him. That's pretty funny. Timely Comics. Get it, kids? <laughs> exactly. Uh, all right. We're also one step, another step closer to Young Avengers now that we've got Cassie with her suit and powers. Yeah, yeah. Doesn't sound like you're too excited about that. I think, you know what? Maybe when we get closer, uh, I might find a way to be excited again or to, to at the very least, show interest. But I think I'm I'm underwhelmed enough by Ant-Man that it's so fresh that I, I just need to focus on something else for the time being. Yeah, I hear you on yeah. that, man. I feel you. I feel you. Yeah. I mean, and the thing is, I don't even think I'm as low on it as you are. Um, because if I had to describe it, I, I might even say it's it's a it's a boring generic film, but it's to me it's on some level it's it's an acceptable level of boredom or genericness like it's fine you know like yeah. you're just if you're really hankering for a, a superhero movie because you haven't seen it in a while i'd rather watch this than blade like yeah yeah <laughs> i would rather watch I, I, this than black adam i definitely would rather watch this than black adam yeah I think, yeah i mean it, this might have been generic, but it wasn't insulting to my intelligence, you know. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Yeah. So this wasn't this wasn't the worst superhero movie. Yeah. If, if we were to look put it on a scale of one to ten, this would probably be a little under a five, maybe even dead center at five, you know. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's fair. Yeah. Well, I guess since we're at the point where we're ranking it. I, I've been tinkering with this, but you know, since we've I've been trying to toy with a ranking system for us, would you not see it at all? Would you borrow it from the library? Would you wait to stream it at home? Or is this something that you would watch in theaters, Drew? Are you positing this under the hypothetical situation that I had never seen the movie at all? Yes, yes. Let's say that you went to an alternate dimension where you, the version of you that has seen the movie already is now going to go and tell that version of you, 
what to do. Uh, what would you tell that version of you? <laughs> Does the alternate version of me have a comics podcast? Ooh. Let's say no. Let's say it's just a layman, just a person. <laughs> Does the alternate version of me even like comics? Yeah, it's still you. It's just the only thing is the alternate version of you just doesn't have a podcast. So it's like an alternate reality wait, 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 where, where Albert doesn't exist. Here, let me ask you this. Let me ask you this. Now now I'm kind of curious. In this alternate reality where uh, this version of you has a podcast, does this version of you, would you be giving them your recommendation based on the fact that they're going to ha- eventually have to do a review on it? Or would you just be like, hey, you can do a review on it, but you know you can wait till it's straight to straight to streaming or until you can borrow it from the library. Like, what's what's the how professional is this version of you? Now I'm curious. <laughs> now I'm not even sure if you're asking me about me or this hypothetical <laughs> alternate version of me that may or may not exist. I'm asking about the hypothetical version of you because I know that the real version of you, you you'd watch it because, you know, you do it for the, you you do this for the podcast love. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so let's say that the podcast, let's say that they do a podcast as well. This version of you in this alternate universe does a podcast as well, but you know they're just not committed to the idea of putting themselves through it. Okay. For 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 their commitment. Okay. So so if I go to Earth Two and I talk to Drew Two, then I would tell him that if he's not committed to doing a podcast on this movie, then he can just wait for the library to get it. That's your answer? Yeah. Yeah. I I think that's where I was landing on this as well. So if you're going to watch it, like, I I don't think there's anything wrong with it where you necessarily have to skip it. Uh, I personally wouldn't pay to watch this, even though I did pay to watch it. <laughs> yeah. If you That's another thing really... that we could go back in time and beat up our past selves over. <laughs> you idiot. Was... Why'd you pay 17 bucks for this? <laughs> but I'd also say, yeah, like, if you really just are hankering for a Marvel spectacle just because it's new. I guess you could just go watch it for the sake of watching it. But personally, you could save yourself some cash by just watching a, a version of this on a uh, barred from the library. Or if you're already on Disney plus or something, you can watch it when streaming comes out. I would not get screen streaming just to watch it though. Yeah, maybe take the money that you would spend on a movie ticket and just buy a digital copy of Avengers Forever or Kang Dynasty by Kurt Busiek. Yeah, yeah. There we go. Or Ant-Man by Nick Spencer. Yeah. Those are pretty much all my recommendations, by the way. I don't really have anything else. I don't really have anything else in terms of recommendations for this either. Um, I think we're simpatico there. Um, usually, I look at whatever 
uh, media or entertainment I'm viewing and I, I look for some sort of thread of commonality and try to pick something that occupies that same space, but I really don't have anything this time around. Yeah. So there is that. Well, I suppose a flimsy MCU flick deserves a limp-wristed podcast ending because <laughs> neither of us has a whole lot much more to say. <laughs> At least we're honest. So, all right. Well, if you happen to be listening to us on uh, you know whatever platform you happen to be listening to us on if you enjoyed what you heard we would appreciate a uh, you know a, a good review whatever that may be stars clicks likes whatever um, if you have any questions or comments regarding uh, what we discussed today you know please hit us up feel free to hit us up on between the gutters podcast at gmail.com or on our instagram at between the gutters um yeah um you can tweet at us too um or hit us up on our instagram like i said um we'd love to hear from you that's right thanks for listening everybody this is between the gutters episode 163 next week we will come back with a discussion on a comic book series or a run that I'd say it's pretty seminal, a seminal run that we both really enjoyed, something that I think we'll be more excited to break down and discuss in greater depth because it is a work with a lot of depth in it. Are you going to tell them what it is or are you... <laughs> is that oh. a secret? <laughs> I was uh, gonna see if you were gonna say anything, but you were. There was a long were, pause, so I really wasn't sure. <laughs> you know, I didn't really know where I was going with that either. I, I was, yeah, that that it's just one of those things, man. I wasn't, I didn't have any written statements prepared. I was just going off the cuff, and uh, felt like you wanted to see what was gonna happen, so you just decided to, uh, you know, do one of your 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 signature uh, social experiments just to see. <laughs> what would happen and 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 we see it we have seen it <laughs> that we have so the comic that we're going to be talking about next week is miracle man by the original writer at least that's what it's credited on the comic I have no idea who actually wrote it but it's some guy who pompous indeed. enough to call himself the original writer <laughs> who indeed <laughs> <laughs> all right Thanks for listening, everyone. Peace. Bye, guys.